everybody and welcome to a new episode of Evie's Korean Drama Podcast Show. My name is Evie, I'm your host, and I am a K-drama obsessive. So this is the show where I waffle on about all of the K-drama that I love. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Evie Korean Drama Podcast. There you will find extra podcast episodes and updates on what I'm watching at the moment. Also, just before I get started, please be warned that I do swear a little bit on this show when I get excited. And when I'm talking about K-drama, I always get excited. Alright, so I thank you very, very much for listening and let's get on with the K-drama show. Welcome to episode 7 of the Lee Evie Korean Drama Podcast Show. Uh, today, I've decided to have a chat with you about the K-drama Joseon Gunman. This drama is a saguk. It came out in 2014 and I was mad excited for it. Like, I was so excited. Uh, it stars Lee Jun-ki and also Nam Sung-mi. So Lee Jun-ki is one of my absolute favorite actors. I basically, I mean, I like a lot of actors, but probably my top three are Lee Jun-ki, Yoon Shi-yoon, and Che Jin-hyuk. Um, there's heaps of other ones that I really like too, but I feel like some of those others that I love are kind of a bit more up and coming and they're not kind of leading actor kind of territory yet. Like I really like Jisoo and Woo Hwan. Um, but Lee Jun-ki, obviously, you know, he's a leading actor. He is, I think he is such a good actor. He also picks really interesting dramas. Again, you know, I'll try anything he's in. I don't always like them, but I'll certainly give them a go. But this drama, I remember in 2014 when I first heard about the casting and he was being reunited with Nam Sung-mi, who I really like as well. Um, they both starred together in an older K-drama, Time Between Dog and Wolf. Uh, that is like a, ooh, a super cool thriller drama. Um, a lot of intrigue. It's really exciting. Um, yeah, really cool drama, actually. So if you haven't seen that one, it's a good one to check out. It's a modern one. But I'm really into the historicals. I, I really love all the Joseon stuff. And um, I remember when the promos were coming out for this, it just looked super cool. Like starring Lee Jun-ki, Nam Sung-mi, who's so wonderful. And then, you know, all these pictures of uh, everyone toting, you know, guns and wearing all the Joseon outfits. And then it just looked super cool. Uh, when it first started airing, I think it took me a little while to fully get into it. But I think in some ways this drama does... I mean, gosh, you go straight into it, but at the same time, I guess the first maybe like 20%, it is kind of set up for the actual meat of the story itself. So it does take a little bit before we get to, you know, where the drama's really going. Uh, I am not sure if this is a true fact, but I remember at the time hearing a lot of talk about this drama sort of being a similar um, type of story to The Count of Monte Cristo. 
And I think when you do hear that, it does make a lot of sense. Um, The Count of Monte Cristo, of course, is, you know, about someone who is betrayed and cast down and sent to prison and who manages to get himself out of that situation and come back as a completely different person to exact his revenge. Like, I mean, it's such a classic, exciting story. And this is basically something very similar, but set in Joseon times with, you know, a very cool hero who has a a gun in a time when, you know, swords were still kind of what was going on. And so, um, you know, people didn't really know what to think about, you know, a new hero, I guess, turning up with a gun and doing what, you know, Lee Jun-ki's character does in this drama. Okay, so anybody I think who's been listening to this podcast at all has probably realized by now that I get a little bit excited about the history behind the saga K-dramas that I watch. Um, Yeah, I I just find them fascinating sort of windows into, you know, time periods that I don't know much about. And it, it always really compels me to do a little bit of reading and find out a bit more. Uh, What's interesting is recently I've been watching the 2019 K-drama Knock Do Flower and that is set um, in a very similar time period as this drama, Joseon Gunman. Uh, Joseon Gunman is set uh, maybe 15 or so years earlier but I think in terms of the rapid modernization of Korea and the I guess the impending opening of trade routes and and the gates of Korea to the rest of the world um, is a very similar, uh, you know, something that's creating a lot of conflict in this time. So I guess I wanted to give you a bit of, you know, a, a slight overview of what Joseon Gunman is about, just in case you haven't watched it or if you need to refresh your memory if you have. Um, So what I'm going to do is actually just read a little bit of a section that um, is about what the drama is, but also just providing a bit of historical setting, which I find very fascinating. So it says, 1876, the third year of Emperor Gojong's reign. So Emperor Gojong was the final king of the Joseon dynasty, who then named himself Emperor. And you know, this was the end of Korea having a monarchy. This was the very last one. So I mean, that in itself is a fascinating and terrible story. Um, so the synopsis says, It is a time of great upheaval and rapid modernization, with conflict brewing between the two leading political factions. Of course, any K-drama fan has seen you know, those two leading political factions a million times with all those you know, warring ministers always yelling at each other in the court and going, Jonah! I have seen that just so many times. So there's a bit more of that in this drama as well. Uh, So those on the Enlightenment side support uh, Emperor Gojong's Enlightenment policies during this time of change. Joseon was known as a hermit kingdom through the 19th century, keen to isolate itself from foreign influence. In previous years, Joseon had rejected Western overtures to open trade lines, which had led to military clashes with American and French forces. While newer ideology advocated a more open policy, it had yet to take root. 
So that's basically, you know, the political and historical background where this drama is set, which, you know, is the, the Count of Monte Cristo and is this really exciting sort of action adventure romance, um, you know, with very high stakes. Um, so, yeah, I, I just love the idea of setting, you know, really exciting, wonderful, sweeping fictional stories in, you know, real, uh, real historical settings against these very tumultuous, you know, political backgrounds and, you know, huge times of change. So basically, this K-drama starts with the idea that a lot of um, Emperor Gojong's Enlightenment supporters, um, who are scholars and teachers and, you know, um, I guess educated men of the nobility class, have begun one by one to be murdered by an assassin. But what is interesting about this particular assassin is that they are using a very, very modern type of gun. I know fucking nothing about guns, so I'm going to say it's a rifle. And that may or may not be correct, but it certainly looks like a rifle on my TV screen. Uh, so basically, this mysterious gunman, and later we figure out, you know, there's a couple of mysterious gunmen, is going around... And basically trying to shut down this Enlightenment movement, which is all about opening Joseon up to um, foreign influence. Uh, and of course, at the core of that, it's just about power and it's about political power. So it's basically this really old turtle looking dude who is a minister of the court. I don't know who the actor is and I don't know what his name in, is in this, but this guy basically... Like, he literally just looks like this really old, ancient, sort of wobbly turtle. And he is the main big bad in this drama. And he's a great big bad, actually. So the other main big bad in this drama is a character. I'm actually going to figure out what this actor's name. So oh, the character is um, Choi Won Shin, and he's played by an actor called Yu Oh Song. Uh, I've seen this actor in quite a few things. He plays the big bad guy in Faith, for example, uh, the, Lee, the Lee Min Ho drama. Uh, and in this, he plays the big bad gunman, uh, so the assassin. And he's very, very skilled with his rifle or whatever it is. And he's assassinating everybody left, right and center. The thing I loved about this character is that, particularly at the beginning of the drama, we are introduced to him as this terrifying unstoppable force um he is just you know he's amazing with this weapon and he is really scary so people are just dying all over the shop um he's like a terminator or something basically <laughs> chosen terminator um but basically, as the drama progresses, we get a lot of character development and character depth for this gunman. And we realize that he is someone who has been backed into a very tight corner and is, you know, he just wants to survive. So his backstory, which I really, I just love that this isn't a black and white thing, that this guy isn't just, ah, he's an evil guy who's, you know, trying to be evil. Like, he is not. He is such a sympathetic villain. Like, you really, at times, you feel so utterly, terribly sorry for this man. It, he has such a tragic story. And yet, his actions in this drama are absolutely terrible. Like, you don't condone what he does. And he makes some truly 
awful decisions that, you know, obviously you're just like, no, that he is a villain. And yet I love that they've fleshed out his backstory in a way that makes me understand why he is the way he is and even think, um, you know, I don't know what I would do in that situation. So basically his backstory is that um, I can't quite remember. I think he was a slave and if he wasn't a slave, he was you know, very, very low down, um, a common man. But I'm pretty sure he was a slave actually. So he had his wife and he has his daughter. So his daughter, by the time the drama starts, um, is a beautiful young woman. But he's talking about the past where basically because of his poverty and, you know, just being unable to do anything as, you know, such a lowly person in Joseon times. He has basically had to watch his family starve and his wife has starved to death. I mean, it's horrific. And his daughter has been taken off as a slave and she's been raped and he's managed to save her. He's managed to build a house for her and a home and he is a merchant. And, you know, this is a time when I guess the nobility very much looked down on merchants. Um, I guess in the same way, when you think of all the trade happening in England um, back in the day, which created a lot of, I guess, what was called new money. So people that were very, very rich, but they weren't old blood. You know, they didn't have dynasty titles or whatever. So it's the same in Joseon. Suddenly, um, particularly, I think, when trade starts with Japan and with China and these kind of things become more open, um, you know, it makes way for a lot of money to to start coming in for merchants. And suddenly the young bun class, you know, the higher up um, Joseon nobles, I imagine they must have felt very threatened by people that would generally be considered commoners suddenly perhaps in a lot of cases being even richer than them so I always find things like that I suppose are very interesting so as a villain we have this man who's just come from you know utter poverty and tragic circumstances who has raised himself up through you know sheer perseverance and now he is very very rich and he's you know in charge of all these merchants but he is also very much under the thumb of that old, you know, wobbly turtle minister dude. Um, and uh, the wobbly turtle guy has his own agendas for the court and his own political things. And he is using, you know, the evil gunman, uh, Wonshin, his name is, I'll try and remember to call him Wonshin. You know, the wobbly turtle guy is using Wonshin to murder these um, scholars and these these people that are promoting promoting the Enlightenment movement in Joseon at the time. So Wonshin is obviously hafting to fulfill his debt and do what he needs to do in order to protect himself and protect his daughter. So, I mean, it's such an interesting villain for a story like this, particularly a story that is all about revenge like this whole drama is about Lee Jong-ki um well, I'll talk about him in a little bit but he, the whole thing is about him getting back at the gunman Wonshin for what Wonshin has done because what he's done is terrible but you know he didn't do it off his own back he did it because he was ordered to by someone much higher up than him uh so I thought I, th I found that a very interesting dy dynamic um 
one half, of course, you're rooting for Lee Jun Ki's character, Yoon Kang. You want him to succeed. You want him to, you know, kill all the baddies, and you want him to live a good life, and you know, relieve the pressure on his heart that his own tragic circumstances have, you know, created for him. But on the other hand, you've got the gunman Won Shin. He doesn't deserve. <laughs> Well, he does because of the terrible things he's done. But I guess that's what's so wonderful and complex about him. I want to um, defend him, you know, instead of being like, yeah, you know, get rid of this guy. He's bad. So um, that's my favorite kind of villain. I think villains that are too villainy, you know, like mustache twirling vi villainy are boring and one note. And a villain that you can feel sorry for, a villain that you feel empathy towards, a villain that you understand and maybe even agree a little bit with their motivations like that is good storytelling obviously this is a saguk drama so there is like literally a billion trillion characters in this K-drama and I am certainly not going to go through them all. Most of them are, you know, really old dudes who stand around in court going Jonah every two minutes anyway. So I have to admit, sometimes when the, the politics get like really heavy, I can tune out a little bit to, you know, the finer aspects of it. Um, but I do love the kind of bigger political movements um, in dramas like this that are really fascinating. So I think when I talk about the characters, um, obviously I've gone through our villain Won Chin, um, I just mainly want to stick to the very, very lead characters. So the lead of this drama is very squarely Lee Jun Ki. So he plays a young noble son, I guess, called Yoon Kang. So like I said earlier, the first, I don't know if it's like the first 20% of the drama, but definitely the opening couple of episodes are very, very different to the rest of it. And it's kind of like the first 20 minutes in a movie or something where it's all set up. Um, obviously, it's drawn out and it's totally great drama. Like it's really interesting stuff that's going on, but it is set up for the meat of the story. And the interesting thing, I suppose, in a lot of ways is that Lee Jun Ki's character, Yoon Kang, at the beginning of the drama is a very, very different person uh, than he is later. I mean, the beginning of this drama is really all about the inciting incident that creates Yoon Kang and makes him into the person that he is going to be. Uh, so at the start, you know, he's kind of this very Lee Jun Ki-ish doofus <laughs> who's sort of like, you know, just he's a bit of a playboy, he's very cool, uh, he's, you know, he's talented, he's smart, all that kind of stuff, um, you know, that the lead in K-dramas often, often are. And he he ends up at the house of this young woman, Jung so uh, Su-in, who's Nam Sung Mi's character. So she is a very different type of noble young lady than Yoon Kang would have really ever met before. She's very progressive and she's very open-minded and she's very, very curious about the world and about everything and about foreign inventions and just the shape of everything she wants to know. And I found that as a character trait really interesting. It's kind of like she wants to take everything apart to figure out how it works. She's also highly principled. So she's had a teacher 
um, who is this old scholar. Um, I'm not sure if this guy's a real guy in history or not, but in the drama, he's sort of a leader of this enlightenment movement. And he is one of the scholars who gets murdered by the gunman. Uh, and he leaves Suin a book. And this book is basically, um, you know, a framework for the ethics of this movement that they're all trying so very desperately to, um, you know, to create and make sure happens for their country. So Suin is obviously in grief at her, you know, beloved teacher's death. And she has this book and she needs to get it to another scholar. So it's kind of interesting. There's that more serious part of the drama. But then she's also getting all mixed up with Yun Kang, who is, you know, a bit on the lighter side, I suppose. And a romance blossoms there. I think the first time I've watched this drama a few times. And I think the very first time I watched these opening episodes, I didn't really kind of massively feel the emotion of the romance at first. Um, and I think that's because it's very sweet um, and, you know, there's a lot of bickering, but I, I feel like the emotions really come into it after a couple of episodes. And I remember there's a scene that I found very, very beautiful uh, where Suin and Yoon Kang are just, you know, they're playing together. They've gone out with one of um, the maid women, uh, maid servants, and also Yoon Kang's little sister, and they're all watching fireworks and sitting by the river and they're talking about their dreams you know for the future and Yoon Kang kind of admits he doesn't have one you know he's he's someone he has a bit of a tragic past and I think he's a little bit about living recklessly and not really thinking about the future or thinking about something so deep as having a dream and Suin says that her dream is to travel to the edge of the ocean but she understands that she lives in a world where for a woman like herself you know it's a big deal just to travel past your own front gate and her dream is you know I suppose to live in this other world that she's talking about where if she wanted to she could go as far as the ocean or across the ocean um, I found this scene very beautiful. Um, I love the way Yoon Kang looks at her when she says this, you know, I think for that time and for him, certainly this very astounding thing. Um, and I think it really, really moves him. So for me, you know, they've obviously had a relationship developing, but this is the point where I felt maybe my own emotions come into their romance and I began to really think, that they were impacting each other in a positive way, really changing each other and developing into kind of different people because of the other. So I really liked that development for Yoon Kang. Um, of course, their sweet romance goes downhill very, very quickly. Um, basically, Yoon Kang's father is you know, the last great swordsman of Joseon um, in a time where I suppose things are starting to move towards guns and Joseon's army is realizing that armies in other countries uh, you know have very different um, weapons and they're realizing it's all a little bit outdated um, so Yoon Kang's father is very busily trying to capture the gunman and put a stop to all the assassinations and Yoon Kang's little sister gets kidnapped and in the process of saving her and getting her back uh, his father dies and it's a very very tragic scene 
But what is worse is that a huge amount of pressure gets put on the king, King Gojong, to say that Yoon Kang's father, basically, he gets squeezed politically by all those, you know, crazy wobbly ministers. And he has to say that his own truly loyal man, who's dead now, was a traitor. So as soon as he marks Yoon Kang's father as a traitor, even though Yoon Kang's father is dead, that automatically means that the entire family are traitors. So Yoon Kang's beautiful little sister gets carted off as a fucking slave. It is awful. And Yoon Kang and Suin, Suin figures out what's going on and she goes to grab him and she's like, let's get you out. And uh, there's a beautiful scene as they're trying to escape the city. Um, again, a romantic scene I really liked, um, you know, where they talk a little bit about the future and he sort of expresses a little bit of how he feels in a subtle way to her. And I really liked it because he doesn't say it outright but you can see on her face that this is the point where she realizes that if things had been different he probably would have asked her to marry him and they probably would have had you know an entire future together but that is not what you know that's not the opportunity that they get anymore and it's very moving um, so basically she gets Yoon Kang onto this little ferry boat down at the river and she gives him, I'm thinking it's a compass now. Uh, I thought it was a watch, but actually from memory, I think it's a compass as, you know, a memento and they kiss and it is very, very, oh, it's just tragic and romantic. Um, it's a beautiful scene. And as, um, Suin rides away with the second male lead who's come to, you know, go and save her from this situation, Yoon Kang is on the boat and he's pulling out into the river and he's staring at her. But we don't see, but the, um, the gunman, Won Shin, the villain, is there and he shoots Yoon Kang. And as far as everyone knows, Yoon Kang dies. So, yeah, it's such a great scene. I really love it. I don't know why I'm such a sucker for these like mad romantic tragic stuff. Like I love it. Like all that excruciating, you know, romantic agony, you know, seeing Suin, she just freaks out when she sees him get shot. I just thought as an actress, Nam Sung Mi did such a good job in this scene. It is so heart ripping like gut wrenching and she the way that she screams just felt like I think if you really love someone that is literally how you would react to seeing such a horrific thing and basically that's the end of the setup of the drama I'm I didn't really plan to do a like you know a full story overview overview of the whole thing so um yeah I guess I'll leave that just more at the start and uh, touch on the rest a little bit more briefly but basically, Yoon Kang comes back um, a couple of years later as a completely different person. You know, he's cut his hair, um, you know, Western style. He's wearing Western suits. He's pretending to be Japanese. He's renamed himself Hanjo. And he turns up basically to wreak havoc on everybody who fucked him over. I don't want to like go through the entire drama scene for scene and tell you everything. So I think I'll cap it at that for, you know, an overview and just sort of focus on now the stuff I liked and the stuff I didn't so much like about this drama and the rest of the drama. Um, basically, the stuff that I like is the fact that Hanjo uh, comes back 
in disguise and, you know, no one knows who he is. And Suin has basically been living like a numb zombie for however many years he's been dead. And seeing him, you know, it's, it's such a shock to her. She's so sure it's him, but he says it's not. And he keeps trying to prove it's not. And he's, frankly, he's nasty. He's not nice to her. So, you know, she can't quite reconcile who this, you know, this lovely young man, Yoon Kang, isn't really the same as this nasty guy, Hanjo. So I really love this kind of intrigue stuff. I love the hidden identity. Um, that stuff's so fascinating and it really just leads to such a like high stakes drama, like to not have your identity revealed, to be interacting directly with the gunman who shot your father and ruined your entire life and be trying to bring him down. But interestingly enough, not exactly bring him down uh, just, you know, violently or through a gunshot, but you know, financially, Yoon Kang is out to ruin this man, like destroy his life. And obviously things get very complicated. Um, so that is the stuff that I really loved. I loved all the plot stuff. I love the action. The action is great fun to watch. Um, when Hanjo comes back, uh, he's, you know, fully trained up. He's an amazing gunman. Like the scenes where he's hunting down people, um, and, you know, doing all this cool fighting. I mean, this is one of the fantastic things about Lee Jun Ki as an actor is that he is actually martial arts trained. Um, I think it's Taekwondo that he does, I believe. I think he's like a black belt or something. I hope I'm not making that up. Um, I know he is martial arts trained, though. So, um, you know, one of the cool things about him is that when he, you know, he can do a lot of stunts himself, um, all the action stuff and all the fighting and the hand-to-hand -hand combat, he can actually do that stuff himself. So when the camera is on him, you get to see full body shots. Like you can actually see him being cool and doing this awesome stuff instead of, you know, them having to hide that it's a stunt double and hide that, you know, that's not really his face. And, you know, he's just popped up from out of frame and, you know, the way that they have to edit these things. So it's not so obvious that it's really not the same person doing all the action. So, you know, the action in this is an absolute treat to watch. It's very cool. It's, I think it's really well filmed. So I really enjoyed all that side of it a lot. I also really love kind of, I suppose, the romantic tension um, between Suin and this new nasty Hanjo character where Suin is positive it's him and is at times trying to trip him up and make him say something. Um, and also I love that he is, you know, he's completely and utterly in love with her, but to reveal himself to her is to put her in terrible danger. Um, and they're constantly thrown together and he has to sort of not reveal his identity to her. So, I mean, that stuff is so great for, you know, a romantic drama. It's, it just is so much conflict between them. So I really loved all that stuff. I think plot wise, I also really loved it all. It was, it was, it's really interesting and exciting and a little bit scary. Like it's very edge of your seat stuff. I guess I will talk a little bit about, there's not that much I didn't like, I suppose, <laughs> to be completely honest. I found the ending really satisfying. I liked all the political stuff that sort of becomes a bigger focus of the drama later on with the king and queen and um, Suin and Yoon Kang sort of switching sides and trying to figure out, um, you know, where they stand on the political landscape of things in Joseon at the time. But I suppose if I had any faults um, to talk about this drama... 
I really did like the romance in this a lot, but I think that when Suin sort of discovers the truth, uh, which is all a great sequence, her sort of not being sure, and when she does figure out the truth, um, and they see each other again, um, it's at this temple, and you know they haven't seen each other. Well, they have been seeing each other every day, but this is the first time they see each other and they can be themselves. And you know, like this is going to sound super petty, but obviously it's a kiss scene, and I didn't find it as sweepingly romantic, I suppose, as I wanted. I think I felt like I wanted a bit more. Ooh, I don't know, heavy emotion in that scene and, you know, it's a very sweet kiss scene but it doesn't seem to quite equal the utter, you know, heart-rending, really deeply emotional scene that was their big parting kiss where um, Yoon Kang gets shot, you know, it, that is such a heavy emotional scene and so well done that I feel like I wanted their reunion scene to be as big a sort of heavy pinpoint moment in the drama and in their changing relationship. So I think I remember at the time when I was watching it, um, I felt a little bit disappointed by that scene. It wasn't quite as much as I wanted. Um, the other kind of minor complaint I have about this drama is that it is very, very high stakes and you constantly feel like someone could die. But the thing that kind of gets a little bit frustrating after a little while, I think, is that Hanjo is meant to be this, you know, really cool badass dude and he's come back from the dead and he's reinvented himself and he's like a crack shot and he can kill absolutely anyone. And he is constantly in situations with really bad guys uh, in a time, you know, and this isn't the modern era where, you know, morally you shouldn't shoot people. <laughs> this is Joseon times and things were very different back then. I mean, obviously, you know, shooting people is bad back then as well, but it is different. Like this is a revenge drama and I don't want to sound like a bloodthirsty weirdo, but I feel like it kind of lowered the stakes for me after a while. The fact that Yoon Kang never went in for the kill. You know, so many times I felt like he had the opportunity to, for it all to be over if he just took the shot, you know, if he, and I, um, sometimes I didn't really understand, you know, I, I feel like if he had killed some of these bad guys, these people that killed his father, that turned his, you know, his sister into a slave, that have ruined his entire life, I would have understood him being angry and emotional enough to take the plunge and, I didn't get the impression that Yoon Kang had never killed anyone before, you know, like he has, he, in times of when he's needed to or defense, you know, this is the times he lived in. They're very different and much more violent than how we live now, if, you know, if we're lucky now. So I did feel like if, I think it would have raised the stakes to feel like death was a real thing in this drama that, that it could have happened at Hanjo's hands. <laughs> Um, I didn't like that people constantly died around him, the baddies, but it was like that kind of superhero thing where you want to protect that person's sort of moral course. So through, you know, crazy coincidences and random happenings, it, they never actually die. So for instance, you know, like if you watch a Marvel movie, Captain America is going to face off against the baddie and then like, um, 
you know, a truck will come and run over the baddies. So Captain America doesn't have to, um, you know, besmirch his soul by becoming a murderer. But you still need the baddie to die because he's the baddie and it's that kind of a, a movie. So oh, that was probably a really crazy example, but I hope you understand what I mean by that. I think um, I feel like it sucked a little bit of the tension out and it kind of made me wonder what Yoon Kang's goal was, you know. He acted like he came for bloodthirsty revenge and yet he never sort of did anything. But things worked out and, you know, all those people, you know, all the baddies died anyway. And I think it's, you know, it's a little bit coincidental. So I think I think I could have... I, I would have liked it if it had been a little bit different. Um, it's interesting. It brings to mind... Um, I've talked in the first episode of this K-drama podcast about Knock Do Flower... There is a scene in that with Yoon Shi Yoon, um, who is very similar to, in some ways, to the character of Yoon Kang. Um, Yoon Shi Yoon's character in that is pushed to the utter extreme of what he can handle. Um, and then there is a scene where the woman that he's in love with gets threatened by a whole bunch of um, thugs, basically. And then a whole bunch of nobles go to try and sort out the thugs. And Yoon Kang, uh, sorry, sorry, uh, Yoon Shi Yoon's character in Nokdu Flower turns up and he has a gun and he goes mental like at first it's defense it's self-defense it's saving his lady love and then it just turns into an utter bloodbath and massacre and I was really surprised I haven't really seen that sort of thing um happen in a k-drama where one of the main characters who you know obviously we're very sympathetic about and really like and really want to have a good ending um see them kind of go that dark and it did really remind me of all the moments in Joseon Gunman where Yoon Kang never goes as dark as I felt that he could have or he should have and I felt like if he had that sort of moral gray area could have made this drama even more complex and interesting than it than it already is. For instance, I was talking about the villain Wonshin and how fantastic it is that he is, you know, um, that he has both sides to him. Yes, he's a bad man who does bad things, but he's also a good person. And I would have loved a bit more of that shading for Yoon Kang as well. Like, yes, he's a hero. He's a good man. He's morally, you know, upright, but he also does some bad things and he has killed some people out of revenge and out of anger and how is he going to reconcile that with his soul and you know his ethics and I would have loved to have seen that conflict in this k-drama um but you know I as much as I've talked about those things which I say are faults um or flaws I don't want to say they're their faults um as much as I've sort of said they're big deal like in the scheme of such a good solid story such great acting such great action I mean this is beautiful drama um those are really really small complaints they're like you know if I have to say something bad about it then this is what I'll say but on the whole like you know this was my absolute favorite drama of 2014 like I've said I've rewatched it um quite a few times since then and it's edge of your seat k-drama I it's perfect and I really love it (laughs) 
So that was the end of my review of or my discussion on Joseph and Gunman, the K-drama. And now I am moving over to my random thing of the week. Uh, this week I have a very random little thing to talk about with you. So basically I have this very gorgeous book um, or it's a, I guess a few little books all together as a series um, and each of them are filled with folk tales from Joseon, Korea. Uh, these are all folk tales uh, that were actually written, you know, during the Joseon dynasty and translated into English for me since unfortunately I cannot read Korean or technically I can read it. I just can't understand what it says. <laughs> um so these are the kind of stories that were obviously designed to entertain, but also to teach. They're the kind of folk tales that are about, um, you know, like teaching you about moral things and ethics, um, those kind of things. But the interesting thing I find about reading folk tales um, from, you know, these, these other time periods is that a lot of the time as a modern reader, you don't really understand what the lesson is that they're trying to teach you. You know, they're very strange stories, some of them. And I guess at the time, you know, maybe they meant be a good wife or be moral or, you know, stuff like that. Be nice to your parents. But as a modern reader, you read these things and you're like, well, what the fuck does that even mean? Like, honestly, I have no idea. So my random thing of the week for you um, is there is one little story in this this storybook uh, that is super short. It's literally a paragraph long and that is it. And because it's so short and so utterly strange, I thought I would read it out to you. So it's it doesn't even have a name. Uh but it says that it was written by Yeok, who lived between 1760 and 1812. So I'm going to read out Yeok's little nameless story. It begins. I've heard that a tiger that lived on the west side of the fortress kidnapped a pretty widow one day. Her clothes were seen hanging on a fence and traces of blood were found in the hills. Everyone felt pity for the woman, thinking that the tiger had killed her. It is said, though, that some time later, someone claimed to have seen her about. The end. So, I find this story very fascinating, and I have no idea what it is trying to tell me. A lot of the other stories in this book, which are really great, by the way, and thoroughly strange, um, I feel like their meaning is a little bit more clear. Uh, a lot of them are, you know, kind of teaching young women to do the right thing and be faithful, stuff like that. This one, I don't know. If you are a listener and, and you have a theory or you know, you're smarter than me and you know what that means, I would fucking love to hear from you. Please contact me. (laughs) 
We're getting towards the end of today's show and the next section is something that I am loving this week. So I wanted to talk about a piece of news uh, that I heard, K-drama news of course, um, which just got me so excited. Um, Quite a while ago, maybe towards the beginning of 2019, I heard the casting news that my favouritest actress, Kim Soo-hyun, had been cast in a Netflix drama, a Netflix original drama that was called Love Alarm. I believe it is possibly based on a webcomic, I think, or a manoir, I'm not sure. Uh, And basically it's a high school romance drama, which I have you know, a major soft spot for youth dramas and high school dramas and college dramas. I think I really, really love those kind of tangled emotion, first love things. So this sounded so up my alley. Um, It is about a (laughs) kind of exactly our world, except in this one, people have an app and the app tells you if someone nearby has feelings for you. So basically, it is a school drama, but complicated by an app that's going to reveal people's secret crushes. So, I mean, to me, that sounds perfect. That sounds excellent. I am so there. So what happened that was kind of crazy is when I first heard that news, I was so excited. And then I didn't hear anything ever again for months and months and months. And I actually thought that perhaps the drama wasn't happening anymore. Perhaps it had been pulled. I just couldn't really find anything about it. Um, But it's all been recently revealed that it is out very, very soon um, over the next maybe two months. And I should have realized I'm so used to the live action filming K-drama model that, you know, I hear casting news and a story synopsis and I expect to be watching that drama within two months. Um, But obviously this is you know, the Netflix age. And now that Netflix has gotten very involved in K-dramas, which I think is a wonderful, exciting thing, but obviously it means I have to wait (laughs) and I shouldn't get quite as excited when I hear about a drama. But I think the wait has been worth it. And hearing that news this week and sort of reading the synopsis and there's been a few stills released, like I cannot wait to watch this drama. Uh, I can't remember if I said what it was called. So this is Love Alarm. It's called Love Alarm and it's starring Kim So-hyun. So that should be out within the next couple months. And I cannot wait to watch that. 